Heavenly Father, we ask that you would send the Holy Spirit to us now and help us to hate wickedness and to love your word instead as we look at it together. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning we continue our series in the book of Matthew. We picked it up at Matthew chapter 8 after taking a break for about a year. And we've been looking at a number of people who have come and met with Jesus as he has come down the mountainside from giving his Sermon on the Mount. He gave his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, 6 and 7. And then at the beginning of chapter 8, he's coming down the mountainside and he has large crowds following him, and Matthew tells us that uh, three different individuals came to meet with him, and we looked at the first of those uh, three in the, uh, two times ago when I last spoke, and that first person was a leper who came to Jesus, and his problem was, of course, his illness, but also that that illness would make him unclean, that un- unclean in the eyes of God and unclean in the eyes of society, which would mean he would have to live outside the camp because he has this contagious disease, he was not permitted to come into the camp, and therefore he's not allowed to come into cities, and he was not allowed to go to the temple of God and worship him. Uh, but of course, Jesus, what did he do? He healed the leper, and this man was able to re-enter into society and worship God at the temple again. Who was next after that? Well, we saw, uh, when we looked at uh, Matthew's Gospel with me last time, uh, that a centurion came to him. We see this in verse 5. It says, When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. This man, who is he? He is a a soldier in the Roman army. Uh, He's in control of a number of men. He probably had up to 100 men who were under his command. And what was his problem? He has a servant who was sick. A servant who was sick. And... His other problem, though, of course, as I mentioned last time we were together, is that he is a Gentile. He's not a Jew. So therefore, what would he be considered by many religious Jews? He'd be considered unclean. They would not even go into such a man's house because he is not a Jew. He was considered to be unclean. But what does Jesus do to this man who is considered unclean by much of the Jewish society? He heals the servant of this man. Even though he is unclean in a way that, not like the leper, the leper was uh, uh, ceremonially unclean because of his illness, but this man who was ethnically unclean was also uh, helped by the Lord Jesus Christ. And what was the great promise that the Jesus gave him? He said that he would be one who would come from... Uh, come and sit with the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. It's a wonderful promise given in verse 11 of chapter 8. It says, I say to you that many will come from east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the kingdom of heaven. Because of his faith in Jesus Christ, this man will be welcome to eat with those who the Jews would have considered to be uh, sparkling clean. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the great patriarchs, this man who they would not go into the house of would be welcome to come and sit down and have a meal with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So now we look at the third person that Jesus comes to as he is um, coming down from the mountainside and entering into Capernaum. And who does he meet now? Well, it is Peter's mother-in-law. Peter's mother-in-law. And what is her problem? She has a fever. And we see that in verse 14 of Matthew chapter 8. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. Jesus comes to this woman who is in Peter's house, and she's got this fever, pretty bad fever. The way that the Greek actually describes it is that she's thrown down, which they've then translated as she's lying in bed. But obviously she cannot get up. She's been thrown down by this fever. And what does Jesus do? 
Well, he touches her and heals her. And what is the result? She is able to get up and serve him. We read that in verse 15 of Matthew chapter 8. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. Now, why is this incident remarkable? Why does Matthew record in these two verses before us this incident with Peter's mother-in-law? Well, there's many reasons that we could look at why he uh, included this. Again, it's another demonstration of the loving power of the Lord Jesus Christ in being able to heal. But we know he can heal. We've seen that in uh, the verses about the leper. We've seen it with the centurion servant. And even in verse 16, we see it described there as well. Verse 16, it says, When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. Why then is Peter's mother-in-law singled out to be mentioned and recorded in the pages of Scripture so that 2,000 years later we are concentrating and looking at it today and hearing it read aloud? Why is this worth recording? Well, I believe it's because it's the healing of a woman. I think the three healings actually go together, that Matthew has included them together because they are all representative of people who were considered unclean by society. Unclean by society. Now, why was Peter's mother-in-law unclean? Was it because of her illness, like the leper? No, I don't think so. Only certain illnesses made you ceremonially unclean. If you go back into Leviticus, it's primarily skin diseases uh, that made someone unclean and diseases that would give you some sort of discharge. Uh, They are ones that would give you the status of unclean as well. Whereas it seems that she's got this fever, she's lying in bed, and it's not the fever that is causing her to be unclean. But why do I think then she is considered unclean by many in society? It's because she was a woman. Now, why would a woman be considered to be unclean by Jewish men? Well, it's because women were often considered to be unclean because of their monthly period. If we go back to the book of Leviticus, where it describes many situations where uh, someone is considered unclean, we see that women are unclean, can be considered unclean for a time because of their period. Look with me at Leviticus chapter 15, page 1112, page one. 112, Leviticus chapter 15, and I'll read from verse 19. Verse 19, Leviticus is the third book in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Uh, Leviticus chapter 15, page 112, verse 19. Verse 19 says, When a woman has her regular flow of blood, the impurity of her monthly period will last seven days, and anyone who touches her will be unclean till evening. Anything she lies on during her period will be unclean, and anything she sits on will be unclean. Whoever touches her bed must wash his clothes and bathe with water, and he will be unclean till evening. Whoever touches anything she sits on must wash wash his clothes and bathe with water, and he will be unclean till evening. Whether it is the bed or anything she was sitting on, when anyone touches it, he will be unclean till evening." If a man lies with her and her monthly flow touches him, he will be unclean for seven days. Any bed he lies on will be unclean. So here, very clearly taught by God through Moses, the laws concerning cleanliness, uh, that women, when they have their period, that they would be considered to be unclean, and then anything that they touch is also considered unclean as well. And so what was the reaction of many Jewish men to this law given in Leviticus chapter 15? They didn't touch a woman at all. They just stopped touching women altogether. Why? 
it's very hard to know whether a woman has a period at any given point. And so it's just far easier to avoid touching women altogether. And so for many devout Jews, this was what they did, and they still do it today. When I was in Israel, uh, we were talking to the tour guide, and he was talking about the hotels that we're staying in and, and pointing out how in Israel, in observance with the law, they try to make the hotel rooms uh, in keeping with the laws of Moses from many years earlier. And one of the ways that they keep the laws of Moses is that uh, the, the beds in the, the hotel rooms, there will always be, if a couple was staying in a hotel, there will always be two single beds pushed together. There's no queen beds, there's no king beds in the hotels in Israel. Why is that? Because if you have your wife sleeping on a single bed and you're on another single bed, even though they're pushed together, there's a line down the middle. And so therefore, the husband doesn't become unclean by having some sort of contact with his wife's bed. And so today, still, Jews are very careful about touching women because they do not want to become unclean. But aside from God's law, many Jews held women in contempt anyway. They held them in contempt and would be considering them to be lower and unclean in their eyes. There was a Jewish prescribed prayer that many Jews prayed at the time, and it said uh, that a, man, a Jewish man would pray in the mornings. And what was that prayer? Lord, I thank you that I was not born a slave, a Gentile, or a woman. Jews would pray this. This is like a, getting a prayer book given to you by the synagogue, and in it would be this prayer that Jews would pray, Jewish men would pray, I thank you that I was not born a slave, a Gentile, or a woman. And the false gospel of Thomas, which was not written by Thomas, it's what we call part of the pseudepigrapha, uh, records an interaction between Peter and Jesus that reflects this. So this is not true, but this reflects an understanding that people had about women at the time. It says that Simon Peter said to Jesus, let Mary leave us, for women are not worthy of life. Jesus said, I myself shall lead her in order to make her male so that she too may become a living spirit resembling you males. For every woman who will make herself male will enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the kind of writing that was circulating at the time of the first century that would have come from the Jewish understanding about women as well, which clearly has this attitude, a misogynistic attitude from men in the society towards women. Of course, yes, the Bible teaches the Levitical law considers that when she's got her period, she'd be considered unclean. But then men and their attitudes towards women had this contempt for women. And that's Jewish men. But what does God think of women? What does God think of women? As we look at Jesus and his interaction with this mother-in-law, we can learn a few things. But as we look at the Bible as a whole, what does God think of men in? Well, he definitely sees men and women as different. He definitely sees men and women as different. When we read Genesis chapter 5, verse 1, and it recounts the creation again, it says that when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. And when they were created, he called them man. What does that mean? It means that men and women are biologically different, that women are biologically different to men. And what does that then mean? Well, men and women are different in their behaviours and their abilities. Men can do things and women can do things and some things neither gender can do. Uh, well, uh, the other gender cannot do that the other one can. An example of that would be childbirth. Men cannot have babies as much as they'd like to. They just cannot do it. That is because they're different. They're 
biologically different. And God also gave different responsibilities. What's an example of that? Well, men are to be the head of the home and the church, and women are to submit to the leadership of the home and the church. But what else does God think of men and women? He thinks of them as different, but he also thinks of them as equal. He thinks of them as equal in many ways. What ways? Well, firstly, they're both fully human. They're both fully human. Both men and women were made by God as part of the human race. It's not like they're two different species. No, they are both part of the human race. We read in Genesis chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, he created the male and female and blessed them, and when they were created, he called them man. He didn't call him man, he called them man. And so the, the title of man or human, as we like to say today, as we move away from focusing on just man, uh, the feminist movement has encouraged us to refer to uh, mankind as humankind, but God, very clearly in Genesis 5, considered that men and women are considered man together. But how else does God think of men and women as equal? Well, he considers, ultimately, both of them as unclean. Why? Because of both sin. Both men and women sin. We read from Isaiah 53 before that men and women are equally sinful. It says in Isaiah 53, verse 6, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. It's not we all men have gone astray. It's we all, all the human race, both men and women, have gone astray. Eve sinned and Adam sinned, our first parents. Both of them sinned, and as a result, all their children, both men and women, have inherited that sinful nature and that pollution from that first sin going right back to the garden. And as we look at humans today, we have to admit that both men and women are equally sinful in breaking God's commands to love God and to love our neighbour as ourself. Both men and women do it. If we look at Jesus and what he says about what makes a man unclean, we look at the sins that are listed that he gives... They are sins that are committed by both men and women. Look with me now at Mark chapter 7, which we looked at a few weeks ago uh, when we were looking at uncleanliness before. Mark chapter 7, which is found on page 998, page 998. Mark chapter 7, where a situation has arisen about what makes a man unclean, particularly to do with washing. And in Mark chapter 7... Verse 20, the Lord Jesus says, What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man, and you could say a woman, unclean. It is not as though this is a list of sins that are peculiar to men. They are sins that we do see committed by women as well. It is universal across the board that both men and women are unclean in committing these sins. No man, therefore, according to Jesus, can think that he is clean and women are unclean, that somehow these sins are ones that are only committed by women. As we look at men, they also commit them. 
Now, of course, we recognise that some sins are more prone to one gender over another. And if you look at women's prisons and you look at men's prisons and you look at the crimes that are committed by the men in the men's prisons and the crimes that are committed by the women in the women's prisons, there's a differing majority as to what sort of uh, crimes are committed by men and women. But we must recognise that regarding sin as a whole, there is no, neither male or female, leper or non-leper, Jew or Gentile. As we look at these three people that came to the Lord Jesus, we have to recognise that whether we are a leper or a Gentile or a woman or a man or a non-leper or a Jew, we're all unclean. None of us can claim to be clean why? Because we have all sinned and have become unclean. So what does God think of men and women? He recognises they're different, but he also recognises they're equal. Equally how? Equal in sin. Equally sinful. But how else does God view men and women as equal? Well, we see it that God equally saves both from illnesses. We see that Jesus, in the pages of the New Testament, is willing to save men from illnesses, like the leper. But what do we also see in the New Testament, in this passage before us? We see that Jesus is willing to save a woman from illness. He touches her, which many Jewish men would never do. He touches her and heals her from the illness, from the sickness that she's experiencing. And this is what we read that for universally, that Jesus does heal across the board people who come to him. We read that in, uh, and it's a fulfilled prophecy in, in Isaiah chapter 53. If you turn back with me to Matthew chapter 8, hopefully you kept a finger there. It says in Matthew chapter 8, verse 17, after chronicling that all those who came to him were healed, verse 17 says, This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. Not, he took up men's infirmities and he took up men's diseases. No, he took up all infirmities and all diseases across the board of whoever came to him. So God views men and women as equally sinful, but also he, we see that Jesus is willing to save both from illness as well, that they are equally, he is open to saving them both. But how else are men and women equal before God? Well, we see that Jesus saves both men and women from sin. He is equal in his regard to save men and women from sin. What do we read in Isaiah chapter 53? A passage that told us that all have gone astray, tells us that Jesus is one who carried all uh, the infirmities and diseases of all those who came to him. What else do we read in Isaiah 53 verse 5? But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. Is that just men who is being referred to in Isaiah 53 as being saved from their sins? That he has born, was pierced for men's transgressions? No, he was pierced for women's transgressions too. He was crushed for women's iniquities as well. So what was Jesus doing at the cross? He was taking the punishment for sinners both men and women, both male sinners and female sinners. Why? So that both men and women could be cleansed of their sins by trusting in him. Both men and women are able to be made clean 
if they will come and trust in Christ Jesus. So does it matter if we're not healthy, or we're not a Jew, or we're not male, or not female? No, it doesn't matter, because all are welcome to come to Jesus for cleansing. And what's the result if we come to Jesus in our uncleanliness, regardless of where we stand in society, what gender we are, what nation we come from? What is the result if we come to Jesus and he cleanses us by faith? All believers, all believers, both men and women, are heirs of God. And this is a wonderful truth that is taught so plainly in Galatians chapter 3. Turn with me now to Galatians chapter 3, last place that we'll turn to outside of Matthew today. Sorry for all the jumping around, but this is so key, 1,153. 1,153, if you've got a church Bible, Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. Page 1,153, Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. The Apostle Paul writes, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptised into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What does Paul mean here? He means that men are sons of God. But he also means that women are sons of God. What does that mean? Does it mean that women become men? No, they're still women. But in terms of their status before God, they are co-equal with, with men. And they have the full rights of sonship. They are heirs of God just along with the men. It doesn't matter whether they are male or female. They are full heirs before God. Not unlike that nonsense that was written under the name of Thomas so many years ago. They are worthy of life just as much as men are worthy of life. And they are co-heirs with God. Uh, co-heirs with men and co-heirs with Christ, therefore. And what does that mean? What does it mean if you're an heir of God? It means that you can enter God's temple. You can enter God's temple. I think it's really interesting how these three different people came to Jesus. Because as we look at the way they even came, it reflects something of the temple of God at the time. The first man, the leper, he was not even allowed to enter the city, let alone go into the temple, because he was unclean. What else do we see? At the, temple, there was a, at the temple, there was a court, and there were Gentiles were allowed to go into that first temple court, but they weren't allowed to go any further on pain of death. We still have a notice from that period that says, that warns, clearly warns Gentiles from going in to the second court of the temple. But who was allowed to go into that court? Women were allowed to go into that court along with Jewish men. So you think about it, the lepers not allowed to go into the temple courts at all. Gentiles could go into the outer court, but they couldn't go into the court of women and men. And then if we look at the temple, we also see there's another court where only Jewish men who were priests were allowed to go. Women were not allowed to go in there as either. They were allowed to go into the second court where the Gentiles couldn't go, but the women couldn't go any further than that. But what do we see with the Lord Jesus? What do we see with the Lord Jesus by his death? He tore the walls and the temple curtain down altogether. He tore them down so that 
All those who are cleansed by Jesus are spiritually clean and able to enter into his temple spiritually. What does that mean? It means that God lives in us. He adds us to his temple. That's what we read in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? That's both men and women. Those who believe in Christ Jesus, the spirit lives in them and they are part of his temple. There are no walls anymore blocking women from certain parts of the temple. They are able to go right on in and the spirit is able to come right on into their hearts. And of course, what does it also mean? Well, one day, all those who are cleansed by Jesus can enter bodily into his heavenly temple. We have access to God now spiritually, but one day we'll be able to bodily go into heaven itself, both men and women. There are no walls in heaven saying men can go here, but women can't. Everyone is welcome to go in because there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. The question for you this morning is, have you come to Jesus for cleansing? Have you come to Jesus for cleansing? Or do you think that you can't approach Jesus because of some particular issue? What is that? Is it that it's because of illness? You think that you're not fit for God because of some illness or handicap that you have, and so you cannot go to Jesus? Or is it because you're not a Jew? You think that God is the God of the Jews alone? Or maybe it's because you're not male. You think that Christianity is a religion for the men. Or is it because you think that you're an unclean sinner, that you have sinned grievously against God, and therefore you are not worthy to go to Jesus Christ? If you think you're unclean for whatever reason, to go to Jesus, you've got to recognise that you're exactly the kind of person that Jesus came for. Mark 2 verse 17 says, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. He came for the unclean. He came down the mountainside and came for the unclean. The leper, the centurion, the woman, he came for the unclean. He came for the sinner. And so I encourage you, if you have not come to Jesus for whatever reason it is, because you feel filthy in some way or unworthy in some way, look at Jesus in Matthew chapter 8 and see his love for those who are not worthy. Come to him and trust in him and become clean by his blood at the cross. But for us who have come to Jesus and been cleansed by Jesus, what should we do? Well, what did Peter's mother-in-law do when Jesus reached out and touched her and helped her? What did she do? We read in Matthew chapter 8 what she did. Matthew chapter 8, we go back there. Matthew chapter 8, we read, He touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. She began to serve. She began to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we should do as well. We should be joyfully serving the Lord Jesus Christ as ones who have been completely healed and, clean, and considered clean by Jesus. When cleansed from sin, the Spirit gives desire to serve the Lord, to serve our Master with joy, to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because we were saved to serve. Galatians, oh, sorry, Ephesians chapter 2 teaches this. We're God's workmanship 
We have been saved to serve. And so we serve with joy. How do we serve? Well, we serve by keeping his commands. And what are his commands? To love God and love our neighbour, are good summaries of it. And that is required of all of us, men and women, equally. It is not as though the men are required to love their neighbours, but women are not. It is that both commands are given to both genders. But won't it be different in the way that we each serve? Yes, both commands are given, but it's different for each of us as we serve. Why? Due to varying gifts and opportunities. Different gifts and different opportunities mean that those commands as we serve, they look different. How so? Well, it differs according to gender. Husbands are to be the loving head of the home, and wives are to submit to that love, as we read in Ephesians chapter 5. And it also differs according to illness and capacity as to what it looks like to love God and love our neighbour. The bedridden can't even go to church sometimes. And so it looks different for them to love God based on their capacity. How else do we see that it looks different? Well, different according to nationality as well. That's an example. It's harder to evangelise a nation if we're not in it. If we're not even allowed to go into that. It's some sort of closed nation. Very difficult for us to go and share the gospel in a nation like that. And so it looks different for us based on what families we're in, what communities we're in, as to how we love our neighbour by sharing the gospel with them. And so we see with these three different people, a leper, an illness, we see a, a person with different ethnicity, we see a person with a different gender, they would have all served in different ways as well, the Lord. But we too today, we look different and we have different gifts and opportunities and therefore our service looks different as well. But what must we all do? Well, we must all be willing to joyfully serve Christ with whatever opportunities and resources he has given us. And if we're not willing to serve, if we're not joyfully serving God as much as we are able, what should we ask? We should be asking, am I saved at all? Am I saved at all? Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law and she served. We are healed from our sins to serve. And if we do not see a love for God and a love for a neighbour that may look very different from the next person over, but we do not see a love at all, we have to ask ourselves, am I saved at all? And if you come to the realisation that you are not saved because you do not see a love for God, love for neighbour, a service for God, a joy in serving God, then you must trust in Jesus Christ. Come to him, trust in him, because you are still unclean in your sins. And the only way to be clean is to come and trust in Christ Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Let's come to God in prayer now. Let's speak with him. Lord Jesus, we praise you for your mercy to the unclean. For we confess that we are all unclean because of our sins. But we thank you for cleansing us who believe by your blood, so that we now have access in your heavenly temple, that you live in us by your spirit even now, and will one day get to go and be in the heavenly place itself and be with you there forever. But Lord, we ask that in the meantime that you would help us to serve with joy, with the different gifts and different opportunities that you give us. Help us to serve now and always. And Lord, if there is anyone here this morning who is still unclean before you because of their sin, may they come to you now for mercy, no longer making excuses, but come and beg that you would wash them 
and then know the joy of serving you. And we pray this in your name. Amen.